0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hear Me, See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts. And I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers. But some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. Today I've got a wonderful young lady who I met recently at um, a horrendous sleepout that we had with <laughs> freezing cold, but it was a, it was a magical evening and uh, met some great people, and Kerry was one of them. Kerry Douglas told us all her story. It blew me away, and immediately I thought, I've got to get this young lady on the podcast, and she's kindly done it on a Sunday evening. She's got two fake, so bear with her, but Kerry, uh, nice to see you. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, nice to
1: There's see you. Tooth.
0: Get it, oh, young. I just wish I rip it out, to be fair, just get it done with.
1: Right, before I must say this, and this is a horrendous story, but one day I was like that, and uh, I was so in pain with this tooth, I went and got a pair of pliers, and I grabbed hold of my tooth and I pulled it out, and my kids are all grown up now, but they was all little tots, and one of them come running in, just as I had hold of it, and you know the point where you can't do, and the blood was running down my arm like that, and I just pulled it out, and they come in, and they went, ah! and then all the, they all come running in, and run, we have got four kids, and they all come running out again, screaming, my wife coming out of at me, but I was so desperate, and I pulled this thing up, ended up breaking it, and it made it harder for the dentist anyway, so... Kerry, do not pull it out with pliers. All right, don't be sensitive.
0: I'm seeing the dentist tomorrow. It's all good. I'm doing it professionally.
1: Do <laughs> <laughs> right, you you told us your story that night, and it really inspired me. You know, um, it's it sort of your story is my story, and and our stories of we've heard them a lot, but people need to know when there's a solution and when there's 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 um, a, a hope for people. So yeah. um go to the beginning. Tell us tell us your story, Kerry.
0: Okay, so I was born in Gateshead in Newcastle um in the 80s. And my mum, she had mental health issues, and my dad didn't really stay around for long. Now my mum my mum was in and out of relationships and she was very like it's not fair to say unstable, but she was a bit. Chaotic, And because the mental health system wasn't really in place then, she she didn't get the right help that she needed. So she was quite chaotic, as I say. So whenever there was a problem, instead of dealing with it head on, she would think, right, I'm going to pack my bags and run away from this situation and go from Newcastle to London, from London back to Newcastle, back and forth like a yo-yo. And we became neglected and... Yeah, we had some times where we'd live with our nan or, or, like, for me, I got put into foster care when I was 11. And that was the start, really. I mean, I was abused physically, mentally and sexually as a child as well, which didn't make things easy for me. So when I got into, like, the age of 11, I'd become, like, obviously we'd become teenagers and hormonal and stuff like that I became quite chaotic like unsettled and I just kept running away from foster placements and bonking off school and and then one day I got caught up in West End in um when Sound Republic used to be there it's gone now I was quite gutted when I saw it gone the other day I went round with the kids I was like where's it gone but we I used to go up there to see the famous people because like MTV Select was there and I used to go and see Don Rare every day and Richard Blackwood I used to love it Um, and um, one day I was to train home to my foster placement and I found myself, like, wandering the streets of the West End and I just started congregating with the group on the Strand that happened to be homeless and, and there was, like, loads of soup kitchens and I just got talking to them and I just felt like I clicked. You know, like, I'm a 13-year-old gobby little madam who's, like, sticking middle finger up at the social services and I just, I just felt like they were just the same as me, kids that weren't loved, didn't, nobody cared about. But, you know, not much older than me. Some were, like, a lot older than me, which were, like, big brothers and stuff like that, and then little brothers. We were just like a family. And anyway, we ended up sleeping under Charing Cross train station. Well, I just felt like that was where I was meant to be. Um, I just felt like nobody wanted me. Nobody really gave a monkey's about me and my family. So, like, why not just be a big girl in the city sort of thing. And I kept doing that... Up until I was seventeen, I was running away from foster placements. Did have an odd couple where I did settle and stay, stay like stable, um, you know. But those foster parents that I had in them occasions, they were the ones that showed me love rather than a an obligation to fulfil a job sort of thing, you know. Because I used to be like, oh, "You don't care about me. You're just you're just looking after me because it's a hefty pay packet sort of thing," you know. So there was an occasional foster carer there that actually got through to me on a level of love so and they were successful placements I need to throw in there but when I turned 17 because I've been so chaotic I've been moved from area to area I was in Bexley I was in like, every single area like Gravesend, Gillingham, all over they'd run out of foster placements for me so then they had to send me to Eastbourne and then when that placement fell apart I just felt like there was no more hope for me because i really loved that placement as well so when they put me into supported accommodation because i'd already turned 16 they had to then move it onto supported lodgings rather than foster placement so basically they gave me a key to a, a property and so there you go like get on with it there was someone that that it was somebody's somebody's property they were just meant to mentor me but that didn't really happen either so I thought well I'm free no one can tell me what to do so I'm just going to go up West End all the time uh, and sleep out and and do what I'm doing so then it got to a point where social services like we can't do anything for you now like we wash our hands with you basically because I mean I get it to a point that if they can't I, I did kind of mess up a few times but there's, surely there's never an alternative where you've got to say well I've got, I, can't, I know you're sleeping well but there's nothing I can do for you mm. and the trouble was I was under a full care plan until I was 21 they were obligated to actually do whatever they could regardless you know like there was no I mean I, I, I wrote a book and there's a statement from my foster, pe- foster carer in the book that clearly says that she she had a call from the duty social worker one like this is when I'm 16 still in foster care saying that they weren't going to bother going to get me because they knew what I was like. This is a social worker and it's like, are you having a laugh? You know, so that was what I was up against, like people not caring and stuff like that. And, like, basically I've got ADHD. So because of my mental health issues and the fact that I was a naughty kid, I say in air quotes, because that's what us kids with ADHD do get labelled as, naughty kids, but it's because i wasn't given the right nurture and the right environment i rebelled because of all the chaos that was going on in my life so by the time i'd hit full-blown teenage years at 16 and they're saying that like they don't even care to even come and get me it's like well you know what you can just jog on now and then when i was 17 i found myself addicted to crack and um it wasn't a long time I was on crack. It was a very short period. But I turned up to the day center. You probably know it's St. Martin's. It's, it was connections back then for the under 25s. And I've gone there one day and I was speaking in this really weird American accent, like, yeah, hey man, this is me. Pretending I wasn't actually me, but I was high as a kite, been up for days on cracks, you know, like, so I was just, but well, I was a kid. I was a baby. I was a kid. Very, like, <laughs> Not really, even now at 37, I'm quite immature. I'm never growing up and Peter a pants apprentice. Do you know what I mean? No way. So, but at this age, I was very naive. I was very immature. So connections got me to go to uh, St. Thomas's over in Waterloo. And I'd had like a severe chest infection. I, I was like so close to my chest packing up they put me into the hospital for like overnight and um the next day they discharged me back to the streets so but I felt abandoned all over again because like this is the NHS system I'm a kid I'm under a care plan and they've just discharged me straight to the streets like they've evident mental health problems and um so then I just picked up the phone and I rang my sister to go back to Newcastle and then I got my first flat (laughs) was an absolute disaster. Um, mentality, again, social services just said, right, okay, we can't help you. Go and represent yourself as homeless. So I went as a 17-year-old girl to the homeless unit saying, like, there's nothing, There's nowhere for me to live. So they put me into a temporary hostel and then gave me my first tenancy. Now, it was a two-bedroom flat, and I was going to make it the best home ever. And it was just, it was going to be beautiful. It was going to be amazing. So... When you leave care, you get a £1,000 leaving care grant, but they only gave me like £300 of that leaving care grant because they knew how chaotic I was with like so but they they knew to do that but what they did do is they let me spend 300 pound on decorating materials there was no carpets no nothing spent the 300 pound on decorating materials and I said well there you go we'll help you into the house with them they put them in the corner and they just left me to my own devices now bear in mind I've got ADHD and I'm very impulsive so I've just looked at that paint there and I thought right okay I'm going to paint the floorboards, never mind carpet, I'm going to save some money and I'm going to paint the floorboards. So I took the white gloss paint and I decided to start painting from the door to the corner of the room. And when I got to the corner of the room, I looked out and I thought, well, how am I going to get out the door now? So I had to walk across this freshly glossed painted floor. So... So the next however long I was in that property, it wasn't much longer, but however long I was in the property, I'm looking at my footprints across the room, you know. So that was like basically a big red light saying, do not give this girl a tenancy mum. What are you doing sort of thing? Do you know what I mean? So there was no care support in place. There was no, there was no like, Help or anything to actually make sure that I maintained this tenancy and held it down, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So that ended badly to making myself intentionally homeless. I say in air quotes, mm. and um, so I ended up back down the West End again. And and for uh, it's all there's some bits that are so blurred because I've been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I try and remember where I was, but, and what I was doing at certain times. But after a while, I got I got another flat after that after flying through hoops I got a little one bedroom flat in um in Fairland and Gateshead. said that went all wrong as well when I got with my partner because I pretty much abandoned it to to try and save his life um he was addicted to heroin and um I'd fallen pregnant with his baby this is when I was 19 and so I've lost that property I and mean, then. Because of my chaotic life, they was, social services were like, right, we're taking this baby off you once, once you've had it. Like, there's no way you're going to have this baby to keep. So it destroyed me. It's like, are you kidding? All I've ever wanted is unconditional love, and now you want to come and take my baby away from me? And they did when he was born. But six months into the pregnancy, when they said that to me, my partner at the time was like, yeah, i just have some of this. And he offered me the heroin on the foil and I took it like an idiot, pregnant. And you know what? You know, if you could go back into the past and, and see yourself, I would literally punch myself in the face because it's like, what are you doing, you idiot? But I'll get to what I feel about that in a minute, like now. You know, because things happen for a reason, don't they, in the biggest grand scheme of things so when my son was taken off me that was it It it's just like you just destroyed me you just self-destruct my it was like my humanity switch was flicked you know it's like I did not care about anything or anyone especially myself so we ended up in London at Christmas this was 2005 And then, so for the next four or five years, I just deteriorated on the streets. I was taking hundreds of pounds of drugs a day. I was shoplifting to make my money. I was begging to make my money. There was even times I've never got into prostitution, but there's a thing called clipping, which is kind of like, you might have heard about clipping with like in the the circles that you've worked in. You know, it's like, if like I used to say, well, perverts are going to come and ask me to do stuff to them then I'm just going to take their money and tell them to jog on. Do you know what I mean? So, but I used to say, cause I used to look so young. I was just like, I'm only 15, mate. What are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Cause you do, you get some really, like being a woman, you, it is hard. You know, you get so many perverts, especially when you're sleeping and you see them, but or you're sitting there in your spot on Piccadilly or whatever. And you see them walking. And I don't mean to say perverts, but it's true. I can't help to term on music. And I should be a bit more graceful basic. Well, shall I? Um, Right, just strolling back and forth, looking you up and down, and then all of a sudden, waltzing over to you. Business, business, you want business? Like, mum, no, mate, jog on. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's what we're up against as women on the street. So, but I just, I was there. So, just trying to block it all out, trying to, trying to just, I just created my own world. It was like nobody was getting in. Like, I was numb to emotion, numb to feeling. You just took away the most important thing I've ever wanted in my whole life, which is unconditional love. No, the world can just do one. And to be honest, I thought that's where I was going to be. Like, I thought I was going to get carried away in a box in that life, to be fair. Um, then when I turned 24, which was 2008, I... um I just—I'd had enough. I'd been up for days on end, smoking crack, and and I was—I was like literally body popping everywhere, like I couldn't keep still. I was under so much influence; it was ridiculous. So I, I just remember sliding down the wall, looking up at the sky, just screaming and crying. I was sobbing my heart out, saying, "If, you're, if there's a God out there, you need to get me out of this now." And you know what, right? It, I can't. It, it was like it is like a miracle the fact that what happened next you know it's like so within the weeks I started getting like a new determination like honestly I really got to get out of this This was my was my headspace and I tried recovery so many times before and it just I wasn't ready I wasn't in a place where I need to do this but something had like flicked in me it's something had changed it's like I can't live like this. I can't. Like I'm 24. Is this really how I'm going to live for the next 60 years? If I make it 60 years, you know. So then, I had this big meltdown on Piccadilly. It was facing, you know, the 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 Christopher Wren Church, mm. St James. Is it St James? I think it's called St James. I don't know. Yeah. I used to sleep in there sometimes as well. It's a lovely church. I love it. But it was the opposite there. And I just slid down and I sobbed. And I was like, but then weeks later, I've got this new determination. I managed to get into a hostel. Now, like, normally you have to get referred into a hostel. And I was like, I ain't even bothering with the referral process. I went to Tesco's on Bayswater Road, We're up to put Noodle, and turned up at Look Ahead Bayswater and said, Look, I need somewhere to live. I need to get in somewhere now. And I ended up in there that day, you know. And it's like, mm-hmm. come on. On. so something was in my favour. something was on my side I was like nothing's going to stop me now nothing's going to stop me so it was going really really well it was going amazing and I was getting clean and I was doing these drop-in services at um, the hunger for project you know it was brilliant and then so because one of those services was um drug blood-borne virus clinic so basically because i was an intravenous drug user there was a chance i could have got hepatitis hiv blah blah blah. so i thought wait i've got nothing to lose i'm going to get tested and um it was like literally my worst nightmare was come true because when I got tested, I got diagnosed with hepatitis B, hepatitis C and HIV. So I was just like... Phew meltdown, signed a death warrant, what is the point of living now sort of thing and I, re- I relapsed, I went backwards yeah. and it weren't long, it weren't long at all, it was just, like I say, something was in my favour because that determination didn't go away, like I was a fighter inside and I weren't giving up because one day it was like, I had this voice in my head saying, if you don't get your act together, then you're going to be dead in two years and you're not going to see your little boy ever again, right? And it was like, That was my humanity switch clicked back on. You know, like, that's the only way I can describe it. And it was like, yeah, and that was it. That was the day I said, no more, you know? And that was 2008. I went back to Newcastle, done a complete detox on methadone, like, crack, everything. I just came off of everything. And I stayed there until the October And then I moved back into Look Ahead Victoria. Now, Look Ahead Victoria, I've got to point out, it is the worst hostel you could ever live in when it comes to recovery. You've got dealers on the doorstep. You've got people that just want to keep you down and everything. But that said, the people in the hostel, the staff, and the setup that was there, it was the best. You know, it it felt like home, you know, like... It was welcoming, it was like nurturing and everything. You know, it was just everything I needed from a support network. And um, there was three ladies, my dream team. I I mention them every time I can't knock because they are literally the dream team. I always say how important it is when you're recovering from homelessness or even addiction that um, the team that's working with you has to communicate, that has to understand as a group as a collective, what's going on and how to address the issues surrounding that other issue. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not just about substance abuse or homelessness. It's like Why has that occurred to begin with? We need to strip back that first to be able to get, because there's always going to be a relapse otherwise, isn't there? If you don't get to the root, you're always going to see them. Well, they saw that and they knew exactly how to get to me. And that all I ever wanted, even as a little girl, was to be loved. So they loved me. Like I treat them like absolute shit, mate, to be fair. I was like, nah, I hurt before I get hurt. So you're going to take everything I throw at you. And then you're going to tell me to F off. And then that's going to be me proven right, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't work like that this time around, did it? Because they never told me to go away. And they loved me and loved me. I was literally hanging out of the window one day, swinging with a bottle of vodka, saying I wanted to end my life, where, where, where. Then cast. She's like the, the head of outreach at St. Mungo's charity now, but she came, she was on the other side of the door, and I'm sobbing, I I want to kill myself, I've had enough, blah, blah, blah. And I just slid down the door sobbing, as I do, sliding down things. And um, Kath was on the other side of the door sobbing too, just because she, could, she knew my potential and how much, like, she just loved me, regardless of my baggage and my, my chaotic mind. You know, I was awful, I was one of those, you know when you see, like, the the worst case scenario where they're effing and blinding like all this off their face and everything like that that was me mate I was walking around with blood all over my clothes from injecting or like I'd been so high on crack I'd be digging up the floor like digging out things I was horrible I was like the but that was just my circumstance, do you know what I mean? It's like, although I was horrible and like picking my fate, I was like, you would not think it was me like that I'm talking about, you know, and I don't want to talk badly about that. But at the same time, I I recognise that that wasn't a good thing for me. That wasn't a good look sort of thing. But I'm not discriminating against anyone that's stuck in that lifestyle still because it's not who they are. That's what they've become because of, the fact that one of the worst things about being homeless and living on the streets is the feeling degraded the feeling like you don't fit in that you belong there you know so when it comes to searching bins and stuff and everyone's looking down the nose at you thinking you're a dirty little tramp that's fine but you don't know what's going on inside here or inside my brain you know what I mean and I think that's that's where it comes to my life now, where I'm I'm there now trying to open people's eyes and say, well, actually, there's a story behind that, you know, there's a reason that they feel so belittled that they have to search a bin for food, or they are so cunning not to trust anyone, so they'll have you off in an instant. Do you know what I mean? It's like people don't understand where it stems from or 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 where it all began. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's. <laughs> I feel like I've gone a bit tangent in there. Sorry. My recovery no, it, has been
1: amazing. It didn't. And, and it just because I've resolved so much that I want to just come back a little bit at you with something is that, yeah. that, 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 that it strikes me that there's no coincidence that you've had this chaotic life because you said you had this chaotic upbringing. What were you ever yeah. going to be apart from chaotic because of that chaotic start you had? So you know that's that's sort of the inevitable thing that was going to happen at some point with you, Mm. and then you said that time and what really got me when you said you wanted to punch yourself in the face, but you know, like you you can't feel like that. You know, I was a kid. I was still a kid. kid You kept saying to me, and you saying like, I was in London. I was thirteen. I was a child. You know, you're a child. You don't know none of that is you. None of that's your fault. You was um, abused, like, and I like to jump on that as well. The fact, and then you said that you was abused, but then you was sexually abused. Now, I was, I was when I was about seven, and it 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 formed a big part of my addiction. But then, to me personally, mine was like I was using it because it was like, oh, no wonder I'm like this because I had that terrible thing happen. It wasn't until I could let that go. That I could move on, and, and that had no power over me anymore, yeah then, then that didn't define me, um, but you know the fact that uh, and as well, you you just want to be loved, but you had you had no you know and no I'm not disrespecting your mum, but you had no love because your mum wasn't in a position to give you that love, you know, and you was at such a young age when you had your because what happens to us with that, we have our innocence taken away, yeah. And then we've become, we've become sort of too too open and too morbid, like morbidly curious about stuff at too young an age, and all that. You know, it affects our uh, choices that we make. You know, you know. So you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing at a certain age, and you do, you know, all of those things. And you know, you've got this 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 thing about you that's that's been. You feel that it's been spoiled. You know. But, um, so I'm just trying to say that um, you know, like I know you don't feel like punching yourself in the face now. but no. I know you feel better than that, but uh, I just, I just think you're an amazing person. You know, tell us so. Uh, tell us how, how, how everything's for you now. How, how's how's <laughs> life now?
0: Oh, do you know what? Life is a dream now, to be fair. I mean, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. No. I mean, yeah, I just, I've got a feeling 2022 is going to be my year, though. Like, because I do still struggle with my mental health quite a bit to be fair and i feel like a lot of that is because i'm still stuck in some parts and i do still resent things from my past and i need to let go of mm-hmm. you know but i recognize that now which is great so i think once i let go of that stuff i'm going to be unstoppable mate to be fair mm-hmm. without being biased I just think, so I wrote my book and I smashed it. Since London, do you know what? I've sold 50 books.
1: Fantastic.
0: Since London, that was only two weeks ago. And it's like, come on. So I'm really buzzing, you know, and it's not about, it's not about profit margins with this book. It's about people reading the story. And to be honest, I've read some of it back lately. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is so crap. And then I'm thinking, well, no, because people are not, with this book it's not about the academic book writing or whatever no. it's about Good the story, story. That you're yeah. taking from it you know the lessons and the 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 like because I don't hold back I just tell it how it is like vulnerable or not I feel like I always believed that vulnerability was a weakness mm. and that like I stopped crying at, so I stopped crying at one point in my life for about well since 2006 till two years ago yeah Uh, I would not cry at anything I held it in and then I just let it all go one day and then I just couldn't stop crying for about three days you know but because I thought it was weakness but actually vulnerability is a strength it's like the biggest strength you've got because like with that vulnerability of sharing that like even just like at the ceo events and stuff like that seeing how much people's mindsets change the next day from hearing some of the stuff that i've shared and other people have lived experience shared that's like that's more powerful than than a paycheck off amazon do you know what i mean because it's like wow this is touching people this is actually making people see that that person sat there outside the TSB with the dirty scruffy blanket is not a tramp, It's not a smackhead, It's not a pisshead. That is someone's yeah, child. Baby. That could be you, that could be yeah. Tom, that could be Harry over there, it could yeah. be Vanessa, Do you know, it could be anybody. It could be, like, even, like, God forbid it happened to someone, like, in the public eye you know like there's got five, millions in the bank today could lose everything tomorrow mm-hmm. and like literally be bankrupt with no place to go with no government system that helps so mm-hmm. they're going to fall through the gaps you know and it's like it could happen to anyone and anyone it hasn't happened to wants to find, find them thank or think themselves lucky because it's like, do you know what I mean? I'm so, I'm so jealous sometimes when I look at these people turning up at the CEO sleep outs, it's like you're only exposing yourself to it for the first time tonight. I, I've got exposed to that life so young. It's in me. It's like literally within me when I sleep out with these guys now, it's like, it's like, I feel like I'm meant to be there because that's where I grew up sort of thing on the streets, you yeah. know, and it's just like I fit straight into it and it's weird because I have the best night's sleep as well sometimes. last yeah. one was like, absolutely freezing, so. Is that the one I was at? No, Birmingham we were at last. I oh, was that colder? Night. Yes, it was absolutely, you know when you shiver, right, I was literally shivering from the inside out, it was that cold and I just couldn't wait to get home and put my pyjamas on, I didn't even, yeah, I just, didn't even stop to do anything else, I
1: just put my arms on, just got warm on the couch. It's so, like, oh four out. It's ridiculous. So, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, like we're going to, what we do, you know, um when this goes out, there will be a link. People like please look on the on the edits and st- on the um on the bump at the bottom and there'll be there'll be the links to Carrie's book. Make sure you buy it. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it as soon as I get that link put on there. I'm going to buy it for myself for Christmas. That's the present I'm going to buy myself Um, because uh, people need to know um, that we are people, you know. Um, It's no doubt that you had that barrier up. Uh, Myself as well, we were were damaged at a young age and what happened to us? um, You are going to put a barrier up. And then what we did, we numbed everything off with drink and drugs Mm. and then once you take away the drink and drugs and you you know you actually start feeling (laughs) because you haven't been feeling anything for so long and feeling it's really hard you know I found the first five years of recovery really hard because I was feeling things for the first time I didn't have to deal with emotions I didn't have I found it the whole thing. Painful to be honest. And you're not where you are yet. I'm fifteen years sober. I'm not where I need to be yet. I still have terrible black days. I still have all of these things. However, me and you, we're in a better place than we was last year.
0: Oh, absolutely next year
1: we'll be in a better place than we are this year. And we're you know, and people like me and you can help each other because we cut from the you know, like we understand that that, that, that this hole that's inside and you know
0: resonating isn't it I think that's a good like when you when you're trying to do what we do like trying to help people in I don't know I don't like the words that get put on it like people that are vulnerable or people that are homeless because I don't like labels but you know people that we're trying to reach you know and it's like I forgot what I was going to say now sorry that's a
1: toothache <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: your brain? I've, been right. I've been distracted,
1: <laughs> <enough over laughs> distracted you from it for an hour.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was it. I remember now. So like when we've when you've been there, you could like what's the worst thing you can say to someone at the day center or rehabilitation service? Like, well, what do you know? You don't know what I'm going through, do you? Yeah. But like for us, like you could be cutting someone's there or whatever, you can you can relate yeah. to to the person more and i think that helps with the trust and it helps you know and i think more people that you know we're not really a minority getting through the other side there's so many people oh. they, they're they just not heard and like you say they hear me see me and i think they need to be encouraged to stand up and to, uh, to speak to yeah. be to be bold because they're even just speaking to one crowd is going to create a ripple effect isn't it you know it's gonna and if we all create ripple effect I love this I came out of it one day and I love it actually if we all scratch the surface we're going to see a bigger picture you know like and I just think like even a brighter picture I just think it's so true if each and every community or town or if we all just came together and united can you imagine the difference we could make yeah seriously so I think they need more people like us standing up and being vulnerable and sharing what we've been through
1: well Kerry I I, I can't think of a a better way to end it and I I can't wait to read the book I'm definitely gonna you know we'll be in we'll we'll do something together in the new year I know we've got plans to sort of different centers we get to and you're going to come along and see what I do and I'm going to come along and listen to you at some other thing I'm no doubt but um you know, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks for sharing what you've shared. And um, you know, by everyone, buy the fucking book. <laughs> 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 buy Kerry's book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not, as you say, it's not it's not for the just. It, you know, you yeah. need a living. You know, you do need to, you do, you need some money coming in. You need p- money coming in in a positive way. But also, the t- is that it's that thing of a message of hope. People need to hear a message of hope
0: do you know you say that everyone keeps telling me off you know saying you need to charge people for your time you need to like get people to pay for your book or whatever but people like i don't give a toss about money i slept in a cardboard box with nothing that money's nothing to me and to be fair it comes in this hand; that goes straight out the other hand and i've got no concept of it whatsoever (laughs) i mean it's nice don't get me wrong please do buy the book if you're in a position to yeah but it's not my priority. My priority is getting this book, like, and it ain't the best. Like, I wrote it. I've got no, di- like, well, I'm in uni studying for a degree now, well, but I've are. got no, I've got no, like, I never yeah. went to school, spent my days begging on Piccadilly, yeah. do you know what I mean? So it's not, but it's the story that could possibly change lives. So, yeah. And it's only got to change
1: one.
0: Exactly. and Even it has, it changes I have, one. It has, you know, I was so proud to hear, sorry if we're going over now. That's fine, that's fine. I was so proud to hear it. So Dan Atkins, who does um, Buses for Homeless, yeah. he um, I, I'd done this thing, I think it was last year, last Christmas, Books of Hope, like, for the homeless. So I basically raised money to buy books and then sent them off and I sent down 15 copies. And he got back to me and he said um, one person had read it and um, it inspired him to write his own story. That's so true. that was like, that was what it was all about that's made yeah. the mission of writing the book complete do you know what I mean so yeah it's happy
1: well, days I can't wait to see you again we'll, we'll have a cup of tea somewhere I'm sure Fair, I, I doubt if it be this year because this is flying, flying by no, yeah. day by day at the moment but <laughs> yes scary. in the new year we'll definitely, we'll definitely hook up yeah and have a yeah. go and have a cuppa and a cake <laughs>
0: sounds fab
1: <laughs> thanks a lot a long see long. you soon oh, thank
0: no. you
1: it's just over five years ago I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.